Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, we are back getting into the 2020 groove. Top of the week, Eric Newman in New York, BJ Armstrong in LA. BJ, lots to get into today. We'll uh, delve into uh, a little NFL banter later in the week. But uh, a lot of things happening in Philadelphia. They have lost four straight since their Christmas Day win over Milwaukee. The chemistry feels off. Al Horford's role seems to be in flux. Fans are calling for Brett Brown's firing. What is going on with the 76ers? Well, one, we have expectations there, Eric. And when you have expectations and those expectations aren't met, then we have to place the the blame game, okay? So this team was built with the expectations. They have an opportunity to win a championship. And for better or for worse, they haven't played well as of yet to give us any indication that they had this is the group or they have the 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 team as it is currently constructed to win a championship that's the first thing second we have a chemistry problem we have an all-star player in Al Horford who has been an all-star but it must be noted that Al Horford has always been an all-star as a center and now he's playing predominantly power forward i don't think there's a problem with the team per se, I think there's a problem because you have a star player in Al Horford who's playing out of position. Al Horford is a center. And when you take a player that it who performs at a high level at one position and just because he is a really good player doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to perform at that same level as a power forward. The power forward position as is now being played in the NBA, that's a different game. And you've moved Al Horford away from the basket. You're asking him to defend differently. You're asking him to do things that he maybe doesn't do as well as a power forward as he does as a center. And I think that is the problem that we are talking about here. And it hasn't translated for them in many regards. These teams are playing small. The smaller you play, you you run into the problem that all bigs have to face in this league, which is speed and quickness. Speed and quickness, you know, is a very difficult thing, especially when you have Joel Embiid and Al Horford playing side by side together, and and it hasn't worked thus far. 
I can't argue with the style of play that's changed in the league and the fact now that we rarely see two quote-unquote traditional fours and fives together on the floor at the same time. Obviously, with the Celtics, Horford was a tremendous, consistent presence, both as a playmaker from the high post. I always thought he should post up a little bit more, but he also became a very reliable uh, three-point shooter and a guy f- who played the pick and pop beautifully who could really stretch the defense and defensively he showed his versatility with the way he both could guard Embiid when he was with the Celtics he showed his versatility at least with someone who made life difficult for Giannis and I think the Philadelphia team as constructed Simmons Richardson Harris Embiid Horford defensively There's a lot of creative things you can do there because of their length and their size. And obviously Simmons and Richardson are the two best on-ball defenders of the group. But there's a lot of things they could do. A 3-2 zone is one of them. They'll cover a lot of space. They won't be in situations where they're worried about uh, switching and being out of position in that way. But offensively, I'm miffed by the fact that Joel Embiid is not living in the paint every single night. That Al Horford is not out there as a court spacer and a guy that is also a very good passer. And when Embiid is out of the game, that's prime opportunity for Ben Simmons and Al Horford to play two-man pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop, and and also post up Ben Simmons because regardless of who's guarding him, unless they're putting a traditional four or five on Ben, he has a size advantage with any guard and wing that chooses to guard him. So I'm a little lost with their scheme, but at the end of the day, Their front office put this roster together. They're the ones that said, we're, we're, you know, listen, Jimmy Butler made his choice, but without Jimmy and not bringing back Redick, and obviously it was a sign and trade with Jimmy to Miami and bringing back Josh Richardson, I think they lack depth. I think they lack a second unit playmaker. And to put this all on Brett Brown, I think is unfair. If you're Philadelphia, let's, let's end the Sixers topic on this. If you're Philadelphia, as we move towards the All-Star break, if this inconsistency continues, what's the move? Well, if you look at it from a traditional viewpoint, this team has talent. Make no doubt about it. You know, Tobias Harris. A lot of talent. Al Tobias Horford, Harris can fill it up. You know, you have Ben Simmons. You have Joel Embiid. Now, when I look at this team and then I put on my – strategy hat and I look at this team I go wow this team is going to be easy to defend why because there's no operating area for this group to operate there's no operating area like I want Joel Embiid to shoot threes but if Joel Embiid post up like you said there's because I know the other guys can't consistently live on the perimeter there's no place for them to go Ben, ben Simmons can't survive as a perimeter player in this league. When, in particular, Ben Simmons is, remember, he is, by choice, a point guard. You can't play in this league today if you cannot shoot the three, especially as a lead guard in this league. Because you have to be able Agreed. to. So when you give the responsibility to Ben Simmons, okay, Ben Simmons as a guard. Every this is a this is a little. You ready for this, Eric? Here's a little dirty secret for every point guard or lead guard or whatever you want to call them today. 
No lead guard wants to play with a center. Why? Because there's no way to keep the defense honest if your center is standing on the box because I can't drive to the basket. Guess what, Eric? We live in a league now where everyone's shooting threes. So what do we do now? We shoot threes, we drive to the basket, or we get fouled. Who wants to play with a guy in the center position because now you can't drive to the basket if the guy is constantly posting up? You ask any guard, any guard that. Al Horsman sure. was so which successful. Is see, which is why we see it, and that, correct me if I'm wrong, that's why we see a ton of pick and roll. So the guards can No, you don't corner, see pick and roll. You see collapse, pick and pop. Course. You see pick and pop. Not many guys roll anymore. You're, you're, you're picking and popping now. This is this okay, is so the the Stephen Adam the Stephen Adams Clint Capella rollers are fewer than there have been in the past. Absolutely, absolutely. You take the OKC Thunder, who will you know we'll probably discuss later. The OKC Oklahoma City, the Thunder now are playing a three guard rotation, <laughs> a three point guard rotation yep. right now with which Shea, is, uh, yep. uh, which is a ton of yeah, a ton of thought. So before before we get to them, let's 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 leave it here. Does Philly need to add a shooter at the deadline, or are they looking to make a bigger move that would have Phil, to obviously Philly involve is, either Horford or, or Tobias Harris? Philly is going to have to do what every championship-caliber team is going to do. You're going to have to have a minimum of two to three teams. And what that means by that is you have a first unit, and then you have a second unit. And then you would like to have a unit that's maybe our lockdown defensive unit or our spacing unit or what have you. So right now, the Philadelphia 76ers have five guys. That's what they have. They have one team. Yep. They need a team where Ben Simmons is going to have to be the point forward. So Ben, let's take Magic Johnson. If I just let Magic Johnson be a point guard for 48 minutes, what's the point of being 6'9", 240, if you're just playing the point guard position, Magic Johnson with the second unit was a power forward. Eric, you hear what I'm saying here? Yep. So he was a point guard yep. when Kareem was on the floor. And when Kareem came out, if I if I remember correctly, the guy was shooting sky hooks over little guys like me. Yep. And now mm-hmm. he was passing from the post. So what is the point of having Ben Simmons, who's 6'10", 2", whatever, if he's just playing point guard? For 48 minutes. What's the point? That's, that, that's my now, whole point on putting him on the post. Now, I agree. R- right now, Ben Simmons has to play close to the basket. He may be a point guard in time. We've seen this with Penny Hardaway. The difference between Magic and these other guys, Magic could score. Yep. Magic could score. Okay. I, I, he, he, he could score but he could also do other things that made his game so versatile as a 6-9 or 6-8 point guard. And right now, Ben is a young player figuring out what he can and can't do. And, and he has to play against other players now where the game is predicated on shooting threes. If you can't shoot threes, it's going to be very difficult for you to have an impact on the game today. That's a fact. Now, I don't know what the, the, the answer is, but right now, the, the truth of the matter is we have to be able to play the game from the outside in. Now, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not here to blame anybody, but if you can't do that, don't expect to win in this league. 
if they're playing outside in with Joel Embiid, I, I don't think that positions them to, to go a long way. But we will uh, we, we will see what happens there. Transitioning to Oklahoma City, you started to talk about it. So impressive. They are uh, 5 over 500 as we record this on Monday night. They've won 9 of 10, 7 of those wins by 6 points or less. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander has been unbelievable. Chris Paul unbelievable. is doing a great job leading the team, and Dennis Schroeder mm. has emerged as potentially the sixth man of the year. Yes. And those are the three guards you're alluding to in terms of putting them on the floor at the same time. Share with me and the audience how difficult a matchup this is when you've got these three guys out there at the same time, along with a guy like Steven Adams who will screen you to death what kind of compromising position does this put the defense in? Well, you, you know, when you have a superior ball handler, it puts a it, it allows you to do the one thing that every coach wants to do. A coach draws a play up on the board, and when you have a superior ball handler, that play is going to be run. Now, whether or not we make the shot is a different story. But Chris Paul is a superior ball handler. He doesn't have one. He has Shea Alexander, who, in my opinion, this kid is – He's knocking at the door of being special. a superstar. This kid could be a superstar. Yeah. Okay, This kid is something a little different. And then you have this kid, Schroeder, who is very capable. I watched him one night score 30 points off the bench here in L.A. And you're going, okay, they have not one, not two, but they have three ball handlers. So when Billy Donovan, whatever play Billy Donovan draws up, that play is going to be ran to perfection because they have – Multiple guys who can get and initiate their offense. That's one. Two, all three of those guys are very capable of breaking down the defense from the top, the wing, and they're pretty good finishers for small guys at the basket. And when they're making their threes and they take their fair share, they're going to be tough to beat. And they have three guys now who can break down any defender in the league. Those those guys, they can break down any – defender in the league off the dribble and then they have shooters and big guys and things that keep you honest you know uh, as a team and when you look at their team you know this was a team we thought that they were probably going into a rebuild type situation and when you look at their roster you're going wait a minute this team could be the sixth seventh or eighth seed in the in, in the west this year which is you know by all accounts the west is is tougher than the east and you got to give this team credit they are competing. They're playing. They've had some really nice wins thus far. And when you look at their team, you're going, you know what? They could do some things. They have veterans. And most importantly, they're a very capable team. And they're gaining confidence as we speak. You know what's impressive? They're competing and developing young talent at the same time. And with, with Shea, with Schroeder, uh, you know, Darius Baisley, who went from high school to New Balance internship to NBA draft, looks like he is going to be someone they put a lot of time and attention to. Diallo's back from the injured list. Uh, Nerlens Noel is playing a role as a big off the bench. They're, 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 they're really doing a nice job, as you said. Gallinari's an expiring deal, so he may be moved before the deadline. Uh, so they can try to get something back in terms of a future asset because I don't think he's part of the long-term plans. But as you said, hats off to them because, I mean, you lose. Obviously, we know what happened with Durant. 
We know the criticism of not keeping Durant, Westbrook, and Harden together. And then you're able to bring in Paul George, and he ends up going to the Clippers in that blockbuster. And you said it. Everyone thought this was going to be lottery, rock bottom, rebuild. How's Chris Paul going to stay there? And if the playoffs start today, they're, they're in it. And I don't want to play that team in a <laughs> in a series with those guards and those weapons. They're going to give somebody a headache. So um, really, really impressive. Uh, Gallo, speaking of Philadelphia before, he could be somebody the Sixers look at because he can give them some second unit shooting and scoring. Well, he can, but at some point you're going to run out of money. <laughs> to, to build a team, and this, is, this, this is true. Yeah, this is at true. some point, you know, you're gonna run out if you got to give up something to get something. Gallo was a very nice player, and Gallo in today's game, he is what we yeah. are all looking for—a stretch four, right? He can stretch the yep. four, and he allows those penetrators that we talk about. You know, you need guys like that to pay, play alongside Ben Simmons and alongside Chris Paul because he keeps the floor spaced. And you need those players. So it's a great fit for them chemistry-wise. They're what they have going in OKC. And when something works, you, you, you just keep – you ride it out. Because, you know, no one – and I'm sure the Thunder as well didn't anticipate this, that this team was going to find its chemistry. But they have a good group of guys and a good mixture of court balance between guys who can penetrate, guys who can space the floor, youth – as you alluded to earlier, they're developing and allowing their young players to just play because they don't have to worry about the ball handling responsibilities, and that's always great for a young player. And then you have size with Steven Adams. I mean, he's one of the yep. strongest guys in the NBA. If the game gets physical, he's going to be there. So they have a great mixture of, of talent, and it's going to be interesting to see which one of these – players they're going to retain because I think clearly Shea is going to be there for the long haul and how they're going to continue to build around him. Yeah, Gallo, Adams, the three guards, that court balance works real nicely. So speaking of stretch fours and speaking of a guy that uh, we thought was going to be uh, stuck in purgatory as we thought Chris Paul was, which he's not, but Kevin Love clearly is. And uh, he's, had a, he's had a rough weekend. Um you know, we joke about it. I joked about it in our show prep. Him firing that overhead pass looks like me being pissed off playing pickup. Um, there's a lot to digest there. Um, first, what do you make of Kevin Love just kind of throwing his hands up in the air and, and, and saying, you know, the hell with this. I can no longer hold in my frustrations. Well, you, you know, once you get a taste and and, and – and I want to talk about it from a, a couple of perspectives. One, I want to talk about it from Kevin's perspective. Once you get a taste of winning, it changes forever how you look at the game. And you know once you get a chance to win in this league that it's impossible to win every game, but it's not impossible to, to come into every game and want to win those games. Now Kevin's coming to the arena knowing we have no chance to win this game. And that's very tough for him, especially at this age of his career. He's not getting any younger. And he knows, like all players, that, you know, this window of opportunity is going to close at some point. And I think it just boiled over for him. He had a moment, and we've all had our moments, and his just played out where we could all see it. I'm sure if if he could take that back, he probably wouldn't allow that to say. I think he said something on Instagram, or he posted something apologizing. 
because the, the, the one thing that you always want to remain and, and keep intact is you always want to be a good teammate. Yeah, you can, everyone is frustrated, you know, with times at their job or what have you. That's part of being human. But there's no excuse for not being a good teammate. And Kevin has always had a reputation as a good teammate. And he just had a moment. So um, hopefully they'll figure it out there in, in Cleveland. Uh, it's been a very difficult situation, a difficult season for them because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're not winning. And uh, we'll see how it plays out because he's a really good player who's a capable player of playing the game at the highest level. And, and I'm sure he's as frustrated as any. I'm sure, you know, Kobe and the staff and the coaches and the players are all frustrated because everyone wants to win in this league. Yeah, my, my biggest I, – I understand the frustration on the court um, in that moment. The walking on defense, the temper tantrum on the bench – um, that's a guy who, as you said, you expect a higher level of professionalism from. But if I'm Kevin Love and I've got Chris Paul on me on a switch and my point guard is 35 feet from the hoop, just pounded the ball into the floor, and Coach Beeline in his press conference, you know, he fell on the sword and said he was trying to call something. He missed the Love matchup. He said that to Kevin. And, you know, I think we're we're both big fans of Coach Beeline and, and – He's trying to defuse the situation. But if you're the point guard on the team and you don't see Kevin Love with Chris Paul on him and you're at the end of a quarter and, and you don't have the wherewithal to just call that number, which all he's got to do is dribble to that side of the floor and get him the ball, um, I, don't, I don't blame that frustration. But the walking on defense, the pounding of the chair, um, He's got to know better, and unfortunately for Kevin Love, he's a guy that's been under a microscope for a long yeah, time. Yeah, he is. But uh, but again, you know, look when you're when you're been in this league 10, 11 years, you're not looking for the coach to make what what veterans know are obvious play calls, right? But when you're a young player, mm -hmm. you're trying to do what the coach asks, <laughs> right? You know, right? Sure. so look, you watch the the the, the Clippers play. Doc Rivers isn't yelling for a play call. If there's a mismatch, that's no, like the, that's that. that the situ they know the situational awareness. But exactly. You know like, he's a young I'm kid. tired of like Colin Sexton. You know, yeah, he's been in the league two years, but he's a, you got to recognize. Yeah, that. he's a young kid. In my opinion, yeah. you have to recognize that he's a young kid. And and, and well, maybe I'm why? maybe I'm too much of a taskmaster. Well, yeah. Well, look, look. You're you're in the when you're playing in the NBA and you're playing in a 24 second shot clock. My question is, if you don't know what's going on before you get on the court, you probably don't know what's going on. This isn't the collegiate game where you're up calling plays and what have you. Like, like you recognize the situation, you play, you adjust, and yep. you, and you work. That's how the NBA game works. Okay, if you got to think, it's yep. it's too late. <laughs> okay, you it's a game because the game is played at such a pace. It's it's played where the reactions and things are happening so fast. So, you know, it, it's a very unfortunate situation where you have a play being called from the sideline during the course of a game. Like, how often does do you see that in a prof, in a professional game? 
how many times a night? I'm not sure. I think it depends on the team. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, you, I, mean you, I think a lot of that stuff goes unnoticed. I'm watching Brad Stevens communicate with Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward or Kemba Walker bringing the ball up the floor. Well, they know what they're doing, but there's constant communication. You, each team's different. But you, so but you, you talk about yeah, you talk about that, and that's why you have you called it talk about that in the timeout. If you're playing the game. The, the, the game sure. that we're playing today. I mean, everyone everyone says it. They're playing the game at pace. Well, how how are you mm-hmm. playing? The, how are you running a fast break and the, and the coach is called to play? Like, oh, no, of course not. I'm talking strictly half-court sets, taking yeah. the ball out but of the But, again, I, I get it, and, um, you know, it is what it is. Final topic, the Clippers. They gave up 140 to Memphis without Paul George and without Pat Bev. They lost that game. They give up 132 when defeating the Knicks without Kawhi with George back. Nothing to overreact to. The Clippers are still elite. But, BJ, this um, lineup shifting, load management, the defensive identity being a little in and out at this point, um, any cause for concern right now? Or is this just Doc Rivers playing the long road here, playing the long game, knowing what it takes to get a team ready to make a title run. Well, you know, I don't think there's cause for a concern here because now we are always talking from this idea that it's a, it's a very recent idea that you put a team together, the team really doesn't practice, the team doesn't really go to training camp together, they're not playing every game together, and then we put expectations on them as if this is going to come together sooner rather than later. So they are not a cohesive group right now. They are not a group that has had a lot of time to play and build trust and do all of those things because they're clearly they're going in and out of the lineup for whatever the reasons may be, whether it's injury or load management, what have you. And Paul George missed all of training camp because of, you know, not one but two shoulder, I think, surgeries that he had. And then uh, they had a recent injury to Pat Beverly and so forth and so on. So when I look at the team, I look at, I look at them on paper, I go, that's a good team. They can play they very capable on the defensive end, and they've shown glimpses of what they could be. But showing glimpses and actually doing it consistently requires you to play together every single day. It requires you to practice. It requires you game time and building the things that you need to find. And that can only happen on the court. So they're going through all of those things right now in front of us because they're not putting in the consistent practice time that you need to play at your potential. And I don't know what to expect. So I think Doc Rivers understands this championship mentality that the players are going to only listen to you twice a year. They're going to listen to you at the first day of practice and they're going to listen to you again and the first day of the playoffs. Other than that, Doc Rivers, if he starts screaming at him now, at some point they're going to they're gonna tune him out. So as they are losing this game, you know, I always thought it was I, – I thought it was very interesting, Doc's comments after the, the, the uh, Memphis game. He said, look, we're not sharing the ball right now. And they, mm-hmm. they played harder than we did. <laughs> he didn't talk about game plan. He didn't talk about matchups. He didn't talk about, you know, anything that could put them in position to win. He only discussed, I want us to share the ball and I want us to play hard and all the other things will come together. We'll win our fair share of games if we just do those two things. So the core of, of, of good basketball 
was all he was saying to his team, which puts the responsibility back on them, play the game the right way, which, you know, that was a Larry Brown phase phrase that he always would use. And then he wants those guys to play hard. Just play hard right now, and then we'll figure out the rest as we go along here. To your point about playing hard, the Knicks game, they let up 45 points in the first quarter to the mm-hmm. Knicks. And granted now that the Knicks are finally starting to play hard, and Marcus Morris is playing his rear oh. off, and he had a career night. Yes, he, yes, he did. But – they give up 45 in the first quarter. Then they outscore the Knicks 47-24 in the second quarter. So it, some of this definitely is just coming out with that killer instinct and not taking some of these opponents who appear to be inferior, uh, taking them lightly. But, you know, this chemistry thing is really interesting. And, you know, Kawhi's missed 10 games. Paul George has missed 12. Pat Bev has missed 8. We saw what Doc did. Uh, the, the 2010 Celtics are a great example, right? KG still wasn't himself from the 2009 injury. They really hit the snooze button the second half of that season. They finished with 50 wins, the four seed in the playoffs, and they end up beating Miami, beating uh, LeBron and the Cavs. Of course, his last uh, playoff with the Cavs the first time around. They beat the favorite Orlando Magic, who came out of the East the season before. And then they're in Game 7 against the Lakers in the finals. And Doc knew exactly how to tweak and get the guys ready. So how much of that goes into what we're talking about now? And the second part of that question is, do the Clippers look to add a little something else before the deadline? Because Marcus Morris is on a one-year deal, and, you know, obviously you need to get the finances right, but his skill set, versatility and ability to score the ball could fit in really well with that second unit well you know eric i i i I look at their team and i don't want to get seduced by just saying i'm going to add regular season talent this team is built for the playoffs the clippers right now as is fully healthy this team's built for the they're 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 built they're, they're 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 built they're athletic enough to play the pace of the game during the regular season. But what they're really built for is the playoffs. And the game, that's a different game. Now, we can talk about adding things and doing all the other stuff. Okay. The the only thing that they don't do exceptionally well is they don't play that vertical basketball. Right? Montrez, yeah, he can catch alley oops mm-hmm. and all those things, but Zubak is not a vertical, he's not a vertical player. You know, he's a nice big body, he has good hands, and it, it allows them to play big against other big bodies for the most part. But Montrez can hold it. He's what we call a ground athlete. You know, he's strong. He plays bigger than what his size is, and he can finish everything around the basket. That's the only thing that if I were looking or playing couch GM, I would look to add a vertical piece who can play that vertical, that vertical basketball that everyone mm-hmm. plays now. Other than that, I like their group. I like their team. I like the way they play. They have scores, defenders, and all of the other things. And when the playoffs start and we take the games now down to an 80 to 85 possession game, I like them even more than I like them during the regular season. Because I was at that Knicks game. The Knicks shot the leather off the ball in the first quarter. And when you're making threes, it really – 
puts the defense at a deficit. And, you know, but give the Clippers credit. They weathered the storm. They were able to bounce back, and they had a 40-point quarter in the second quarter, and then they went on to win the game. But, um, you know, the three-point shot is, is, is something of concern. And you have to be able to defend on the perimeter and run guys off the three, which to me, that's just, that's just effort and energy. That's not, that's, that's not a big concern to me. What is a concern is if a team is just driving the ball down my throat. You know, if you're shooting threes and, yeah. and you make it, hey, Eric, good shot, and you run on, because I'll take my chances that way. Yeah. Um, one thing about the Clippers that is extremely impressive, and we've talked about it a few times, and I'll end on this, the street fight mentality and the ability to absorb the body blows and the punches and a 40-point quarter by a team and then come back reset and take over the game and win the game yeah and we've seen it against the lakers this season obviously the knicks are not the lakers but the ability to do that time and time again is telling about their dna and who they are as a basketball team well, so, well eric I, I, uh, I, I, we'll be in yeah, yeah I, I just want to say this real quick the clippers are they're a very very interesting team because they have two guys that are capable of getting 30 points in a game, off the bench. Three guys. Oh, two guys off the bench. Off the bench. Yeah, off the sure. bench. I mean, they have four guys that they can play with every single game and get 30 points from Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Montrez Harrell, and Lou Williams. Now, that's a, that's a unique situation that you have to contend with in a seven-game series. So, I get it. Teams are going to come in and do their thing. But the game that I was at, the Clippers had like, you know, they had like three guys that scored over 30 points. They had three guys, Paul George, Montrez, and Lou Williams, scored 30 points in a game. And that, to me, makes them a very dangerous team, a team that I think will be hard to prepare for. And how are you going to shut down four guys? How are you going to shut down four guys? You got to give it's up not, something. It's not possible. Not possible, especially with the versatility of, of, of the four of them and, and the skill sets that they bring to the table and the Lou Will-Montrez combo off the bench is, is something we haven't seen the likes of in, in a very long time, if at all. Oh, God, so yes, for sure. They are, uh, they, they, are, they, they are quite formidable. So great job today, my man. We will be back later this week. Special thanks, as always, to producer Mike Lieber. The one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, the entire Pure Hoops Media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 on Wednesdays. Buckets, boards, and blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt on Thursdays. And the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself coming back at you to close the week. Enjoy the games this week. BJ, enjoy that L.A. weather. I'll be back out your way next week, so we'll get together. And as always, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.